0: To keep in mind, like they are their own person. They are not you. They are not a reflection of you. They are their own independent person, who it's your responsibility to take care of them and show kindness, to build the scaffolding so that they have the confidence to go and be great.
1: Welcome to Raising Greatness, where we ask the questions every parent wants to know. I'm Ryan Adams, and in today's episode, we have Tara Clark author, speaker, content creator, podcaster, and the founder of Modern Mom Probs. Join us as we talk about the biggest problems facing moms and parents in today's world, overcoming the loneliness of being a parent and how to find your village, the mental load of motherhood and the danger of comparison traps, how to relinquish control and ask for help, even as a type A personality, one of the main reasons our toddlers have emotional meltdowns and what we can do to prevent them, and so much more. Tara, thank you so much for joining me. It's really, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation.
0: I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Ryan, for having me.
1: Okay, so I don't think it's easy to be a mom in any day and age. Um, and I know that every period probably has its, its very distinct struggles and trials and tribulations and challenges. But what are you seeing is unique to the modern mom? What are, what are some of the problems that you're seeing for the modern mom that might be a little bit unique to this, this day and age?
0: Yeah. As the creator of Modern Mom Problems, I like to think that I am the expert in Modern Mom Problems, so I can speak to that quite a bit. Um, Love it. So let's tackle it a few different ways, right? One, I'm going to start with the lack of an in-person village. Something that is different nowadays versus in previous generations is that families are more isolated and moms are more isolated. And We don't have the neighbor necessarily that we could just knock on their their door and say, hey, may we borrow some sugar? Or can you watch the kids for a couple hours? And we don't uh, necessarily have the grandparents uh, nearby or the aunts and uncles. And so that makes it a little bit more isolating, right? We don't have that information flow from the families on a day-to-day basis that previous generations had. So therefore, modern moms tend to look towards a digital village, right? Platforms like mine and so many other wonderful platforms right across the board. And also in that digital village, then obviously we talk about technology, right? So technology is also something that is new, that is different from previous generations. And we have platforms like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and and all of those things. And so whether it's information overload, or it's the comparison trap that we see online, or it's dealing with trolls even or people with with so many different advices and comments and all of these things it's like maybe humans weren't necessarily meant to hear all of those different things all of the time and you know it can be over overwhelming so those are two right off the top of my head modern mom problems that we're tackling today
1: and, and those are huge ones. I mean, those those are not uh, small problems. So, so, let's dissect each one. Then, so the lack of having an in person village, um, it is huge, and, and something that I've noticed, even with being a, a new parent myself, is is that there's also a bit of a cultural difference uh, when it comes to the families and the way that you know people are interacting and supporting. Um, just having kids like in so many cultures, it's like, you know, the grandparents are there, the the great grandparents, everybody's Mm -hmm. helping and everybody's there to actually help. I feel Mm -hmm. like in oftentimes our Western culture, it seems to be people come to see the baby or come to maybe, you know, drop off a little something, but it's not like they're there to actually, we don't get to tap into that, that wisdom and and even just that help of Mm -hmm. having those extra hands. I mean, oftentimes we're trying to, uh, you know, have nannies or other help. So what do you, what do we do? Like, how do we do? Do we go out there? Do we join like, um like meetup groups? Do we join in person groups? Like, do we? I mean, obviously, the um the platforms like, like yours, and a lot of these uh, digital platforms provide, as long as they're the right platform, um a good place to actually meet people. But what do you suggest to help kind of create that village around us?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to backtrack just a second going back to the the cultural um, aspects of that. Yes, in some cultures that is true that the grandmothers are there and the aunties are there and everyone's there to provide that physical in-person support and also like the information. I'll give you a quick story about um, when my son was born. I have a 10-year-old son and we were living in New York City at the time when he was born. And my mother and my mother-in-law came into the city to visit us for one day after my son was born and they went out and they got their eyebrows waxed (laughs) and they were gone for like hours. And then like, finally they came back and one, I was worried about them because I didn't know where that they, they went and they weren't like responding to texts or calls. Um, and two, they were supposed to be coming in to help me with the baby But then I was more concerned of like, where did they disappear to? (laughs) What happened to them? And I think I was able to take a shower that day because they were there for a few minutes like while I was, before they got their eyebrows done. Uh, They were able, (laughs) I was able to take a shower and wash my hair. And I was like, so very grateful for that. But I think that story sort of goes to show that, you know, we're not we don't have those in-person villages like we used to, even sometimes when it is our own family. and And having a baby in New York City, for me was very lonely because I didn't have family. I had some friends, but they weren't necessarily moms yet. And when you have a new baby, especially uh, in the winter, You're not going out and you're not really going for for a lot of walks or going to the playground or anything like that. So it's sort of hard to meet people. And that's going back to the digital villages. There are apps like Peanut app. There um, are Facebook meetup groups. And at the time, this is like 10 years ago, meetup was like a big website um, where people would do it. I don't think I actually ever, I belonged to it, but I don't think I actually met up with anybody from from meetup. Um, But there are definitely platforms where people that live close by geographically and have similar uh, interests can meet up. Like I said, peanut app is one that comes off off the top of my head.
1: This is that's great. So I've never even heard of the peanut app. Um, so, so that's, that's a good resource to, to know about. And I'm just going to add to your story, which is a, a similar situation for myself. So my son now just turned six months a couple of days ago. Congratulations! And thank you. Thank you. Um, and so Katrina, my wife is South Asian. And so her mom was here when she was basically nine months pregnant and stayed with us for three months. And that was amazing. And then the same thing, auntie came in as well and was here for a month. And they're all here helping, like cooking, cleaning, helping, you know, constantly, um, just, just relieving some of the burden and just helping the mom to support. Mm-hmm. And, and my, my mom, which love her to death, you know, she came for five days to see the baby, it was kind of similar situation. And, it's not good, it's not bad, it's just you look at a cultural difference of being like, interesting, where there is that little bit of, we're doing this kind of figuring it out alone, which then leads us down some dark paths of trying to figure out, okay, the comparison trap that you talked about. Um, Google as a mom, which is what I saw, is one of the most dangerous things ever, because it will always tell you the worst case scenario of what could be happening with your child or yourself, which Mm -hmm. then sends you down this anxiety uh, kind of Mm -hmm. trap, so so it's mm-hmm. it's not easy um but then okay so so then going to some of the other aspects you talked about so let's just talk about the comparison trap social media is this this beast that we're all dealing with right now and for moms especially there's that judgment and there's that kind of feeling that you're not doing it well nobody really knows how to do it everybody's just trying to do the best that they can but mm-hmm. there seems to be so much judgment involved with being a mom maybe you can just speak to that in, in your experience and, and what you've seen in your community and and how to maybe combat that
0: Yeah. We, I I speak about that a lot because obviously being on Instagram, I see a lot of comparison and and I compare myself to other people too, whether it's other content creators, other mothers, you know, we we see like the beautiful uh, curated homes and all of like the spotless and the toys all match and they're all put away and like nothing's, nothing's messy. And and we've all seen that. Right. And so then you think, gosh, well, like my toys aren't put away and they're all brightly colored and plastic and, and all of those different things you're like, wait, but like, there's like Instagram versus reality. I think that's always been a very popular like meme genre because people understand the difference between what you see on Instagram and what reality is. And so it's very easy to get sucked into that trap. And then even, you know, not something from aesthetic, but like as far as your child, right? You're thinking like, oh, well, gosh, six months, my child should be doing X, Y, and Z. And that baby's sleeping through the night and that baby's starting to walk. And, you know, all those things. Then you start to go, like you mentioned, go down the rabbit hole with, and you're Googling this. You're like, is this this normal? Is this right? You know, And, and as opposed to, you know, whether it's asking your pediatrician or asking other parent friends, you know, or asking your own family, your aunties and your and your grandmothers, so um, it's very easy to get stuck in that trap. For me personally, what do I do to combat that? I put my phone away. Sometimes I just have to put my phone away and take a deep breath and go do something else, whether it's, you know, being present with my child or going for a walk or just doing something analog, you know, doing something as silly as like, I don't know, like I said, just walking away from my phone and, and whether it's like, I don't know, cooking or cleaning or spending time with my son. And it's just not being immersed in that world.
1: Hmm. So being a mom for or a parent in general for so many people it's it's a brand new um adventure and Mm -hmm. there seems to be a lot of things that people don't talk about like they 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 don't really warn you about um what are some of the things about being a mom or about motherhood that nobody kind of warned you about that you then were like interesting um I think people should know about this or I wish I would have known this earlier
0: Yeah, gosh. I mean, that could be, you want to do a four hour podcast? We could do a four hour (laughs) podcast about that, Ryan. Um, I recently just did a post and the post said this, I wish more people would talk about how motherhood is blank. And I put it in my Instagram stories and I had like an overwhelming response and people were saying a lot of recurring things. One was loneliness. People Mm. were saying, I wish that we could, More people spoke about loneliness, or I wish I knew about that. And I could vouch for that myself. So that one really resonated with me. Um, Other ones were how it's fleeting and how, you know, when you're so deep in the trenches with infants and toddlers, it doesn't last like that forever, right? Then you have a five, six-year-old, now I have a 10-year-old, right? And so things Aren't necessarily so much easier, but they are definitely different. You know, there's always different phases, and and there's different things that you're going through at different times. So yes, it is it is fleeting. Um, Another thing uh, would be, um, you know, going back to the comparison trap that of the things that that we you know see online. A huge one is the mental load of motherhood that no one would have spoken about several years ago because it was sort of just implied or assumed that you you as the mother are going to be doing all of these other things that maybe your partner may not necessarily be doing. So that's a big conversation that we are having now online. And in podcasts like this. And so we're really bringing that to the forefront of, to try to ease the, the mental load and to try to be more equitable in our responsibilities in the home, whether that means you know shopping for holiday gifts so that it doesn't just fall on one person or um, even decorating for the holiday gifts, writing holiday cards, you know, all different things, right? There's just so many things on the mental load. And that was another recurring topic that I saw from the from the moms out there
1: again each one as you mentioned could be a a whole podcast by itself so you've got the loneliness which which really does make sense um what i noticed with with my wife um katrina's is that she would often be doing she'd be reaching out to just friends mom groups at like two three in the morning um because everybody's kind of awake nobody's especially when you're kind of insomnia when you're at that late stage in pregnancy or even um i just thought that that was interesting that there's this whole kind of night hour night owl community that's out there that basically has insomnia and that's a good time to kind of uh, reach out and connect, and and then you talk about that that fleetiness and and yeah that impermanence of the situation, and then that kind of guilt where it's like you know that this is not going to last forever. You know that this stage, I mean, every day, every week, it's it's profound growth and changes, and it's you want to catch all those moments you don't want to miss any of those moments but, but you can't you're pulled mm-hmm. in so many different directions as well and and so to kind of you know find that balance and find that presence when you're with your child but then also you know still making a living and still being you know in the world and mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it, it's all it's it, it's all it's all very relevant and then the mental overload i mean that is I, I I have a newfound respect for every mother out there, my own mother, every mother out there, because it is just it's unbelievable the amount that that you take on. Because for for so many uh, women as well, you also still have your career, you also still have so many things that maybe weren't necessarily there before, and you're doing it all, and you're juggling it all, and. The difference is, I think, for a lot of dads is, is that, or at least from a mom's point of view, is, is that dads can kind of turn it off a little bit, but moms can't. You're always connected. You're always hearing that murmur, hearing that little cough. You're just, it's really, really hard. So so for those moms that are feeling a little bit overwhelmed and maybe have difficulty delegating or asking for help, what, what would you advise? What would you suggest to them?
0: Uh, Yes, Uh, it's very important to have this conversation with your partner, if you do have a partner, to to sit down and really go through a checklist of, you know, who's going to handle the um, making the pediatrician appointment, who's going to take the child to the pediatrician, Um, because many times I just assumed that the default parent is the one that's going to, you know, make the appointment, go to the appointment, pick up the medication if you need to pick up medication, right? All of those things I just named one instance, but there were like four activities that really goes into just one act, one activity, right? So um, sit down with your partner. It's a really icky, tricky conversation to have in with many couples. For for many couples, um, it's awkward for many people, but it's necessary, right? And and so that it's a necessary conversation to have, so that people don't build up resentment over time, so that. There's not one person in the relationship that's saying, I do all of this stuff and my partner doesn't do any of it. And every week it's the same thing. And it's like, well, you need to then sit down and really have a heart to heart conversation, even though it's awkward, even though it's sticky, even though the other party may get upset, it's really important to talk about that for the long term of your family and your relationship.
1: So for those type A personalities that might find it hard to, um, even though, they want and they know that they need the help, but it's hard to kind of relinquish the control. Um, I, I find that for, for so many parents, um, there's this control aspect that you always want to be controlling everything. What would you advise to somebody that uh, knows that they need the help but kind of is a little bit type and you and know, isn't necessarily um, adept at asking for it or relinquishing yeah. the control? <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, no, that that's a real thing because I struggled with that, especially when my son was was old, was younger, and mm-hmm. this was to before the point where I got to sort of where I am right now with all of this. Um, it was hard because you want your stuff to be done a certain way. You like how you load your dishwasher. You like how you fold your clothes and, and put them in the in the drawers. So. I get that. But then my advice would be to try to let that go. If you're a type A personality and and you have a career and you're working outside of the home or working from your home, you don't do all of that work yourself, right? You have employees or people on your team that work for you, your family's the same way, right? And so if you are able to relinquish some control to your employees or team partners, then why shouldn't you be able to relinquish some control to your domestic partner?
1: Yeah, well, well said. Being a parent in general seems that, you know, a lot of emotions get kind of brought up. Um, it's just, it's all new. And there's, it's, there's obviously it's, it's very, it's very real what you're going through as a parent in that whole journey. So regulating emotions isn't always easy to do. What would you suggest then for people to kind of find that groundedness, find that little little bit of balance or alignment when they may feel that they're a little bit out of whack on the emotional side? And maybe you could just speak to like how important, you know, that balance actually is.
0: Yeah, it is so important. And at the heart of parenting is relationship, right? Is your relationship with your child. And I know your little guy is young at this point. so you'll see that more as, as he grows up and develops. But maintaining a positive relationship with him so that you could build the scaffolding that he knows that he's safe and that he knows that he's loved and you give him all of those, those right things, then he's going to grow up. And, you know, we talk about raising greatness, right? That's how you get to that point, right? That's how you're raising greatness by, by giving them the love and the respect and the scaffolding that they need. Um, For me personally, it wasn't until I started working in the parenting space, which obviously I do now. And I, made more friends I made friends with therapists and people who are considered conscious parents did i even realize that that was something that existed and so at the heart of conscious parenting goes back to relationships it's your relationship with you and your child it's your relationship with yourself while you're parenting sometimes they say that you have to like reparent yourself to understand your triggers and the things that sort of set you off in order to be a better parent for them and so going back to your question about regulating a lot of that for me has come through the practice of conscious parenting. And so when I have, I have to regulate my emotions when my son is dysregulated. And so it's important that I look to myself to not escalate the situation. Right? So if if he's at a 10 and he is dysregulated, I need to be at like a five or a six to sort of bring the whole thing down. Because if I'm at a 10 and he's at a 10, it's just an explosive thing. So some of the ways that I Go about regulating myself is sometimes I have to walk away. You know, sometimes you have to say like, you know what, mommy just needs a minute. I'm gonna sit down on the couch. Um, you can count to ten. Breathing exercises really help. Whatever you have to do to like calm your body, if some people have a mantra, whatever you need to do to calm your body is the best way to then, like I said, be at a five to then be able to deal with the conversation or the situation that you're. You find yourself in.
1: How much of when your child is dysregulated, is that a byproduct? Are they reacting to you being dysregulated or are they like what percent of the time are they just independently kind of th- in their own emotional state as opposed to reacting on a very kind of um, almost like a quantum entanglement kind of reaction to your as a parent's emotional state. Because I've noticed that that if I'm a little bit stressed or or something's going on with me, all of a sudden my little baby boy – blowout like, like he has like a blowout you're like whoa where did that come from and How that and it seems, yeah exactly it seems to be like clockwork where interesting like he seems to be reacting to my emotional state um have you noticed that as well and what percentage would you say is, is actually that um, you know independent as opposed to reacting to you
0: yeah i would venture to say it's probably really 70 30 they are being dysregulated on their own um but like i said once they are then you shouldn't add to it because then it's going to be so much higher. So um, once you have a toddler, which obviously you're not there yet, but you'll get there. Once you have a toddler, you will see what I mean by that. You know, it'll be something that will set them off like, I didn't want pancakes. Yeah, but you just asked for pancakes, but I don't want pancakes now. Or I wanted the red cup and not the blue cup. And I wanted the space uh, plate and not the golf plate know, all different things, like simple things that as adults were like, yeah, but it's just like a a red cup drink from the red cup. It's like, no, once you have toddlers, you will understand that it's not as cut and dry. And so once they get upset about this red cup, blue cup situation, they're going to be at, you know, seven, eight, nine, but it's important for you to, like I said, keep it down. I can't really think of a time where my son was dysregulated because of me it's usually the other way around
1: interesting so yeah that's why i said 7030 it might even
0: yeah, be so, like 820 at least for me yeah. yeah
1: yeah and and obviously everybody would be a little bit different as well mm-hmm. so for those parents that have toddlers right now and they're like okay yeah but tara tell me about like how do i not get to that 10 with my child how do we how do we get him to like is this just a natural part of being a toddler is that they're pushing their boundaries and they're trying to see what they can get away with or is it just natural that they they change their mind or is it like how, what do we do? How do we not let that, that 10, you know, come?
0: So um, they're growing and they're learning and their little brains are developing and and it's a new world for them. Right. And so like sometimes, you know, there's experiences that we've had a hundred thousand times before, like selecting a blue cup or red cup. And this may be the first time or the second time that they're having that experience. And so Hmm. just by the very nature of them being new to the world and new to these experiences, it's scary and they're learning and, and they are touching, testing their boundaries and they're trying to see, is this safe? Is this not safe? And so, yes, there's. I don't know if I can necessarily say that you could always prevent them getting to attend. There's some things, obviously, that we can do to to help um, them feel confident in learning these new experiences, whether giving them suggestions, would you like the red cup today or the blue cup, and they could choose. Um, There are ways that we can help it, but um, sometimes they get to attend just on their own.
1: It... um... It makes sense that I mean everything in the world is new to them, so they're constantly. Uh, I think that that's actually a really good way to look at it. That we may have made a decision a hundred times about choosing red over over blue, but this may be the second time that they're they're doing it. Um, I think that that's a nice part of maybe being a conscious parent is to constantly remind ourselves that, Hey, this is, this is baby mind right now. Like this is, everything is new, everything, even regulating emotions, uh, emotional intelligence, obviously different parts of their brain are developing mm-hmm. at different stages. So, so it's mm-hmm. harder for them to regulate um, and not to project our own, I guess, it goes almost a judgment to judgment to a certain extent that it's like, yeah. oh, I, well, I wouldn't be getting upset about the red, blue cup. So why are you, little toddler? Um, yes. <laughs> which isn't judgment. exactly fair.
0: It's true. It's true. You said a perfect word when you said judgment. So many times it's about us withholding judgment for the things that they're just learning about. Because like we've picked red or blue a million times. And, and if you're 35 years old, you probably picked red from blue a million times in your life. But- for them, it's a novel concept. And gosh, they're really sad if you picked it for them, or you got to hit the elevator button and they didn't, right? I mean, you don't think anything of, oh, let me just hit the elevator button. Well, if they wanted to, and they didn't communicate it before, then, you know, that could go right, right through the moon. But um, it's really important to keep in mind that they're still learning, withhold judgment. You know, they're not 35 years old. Someday they will be, but they're just not yet at this point. If anything, they're, you know, they're three and a half,
1: not 35. Then when they're 35, then we can judge them. We can judge ourselves as parents. <laughs> We're just like, okay, so everybody that's listening, just, just, just reserve that judgment for 35 years and then just let it all pour, pour out.
0: <laughs> that's a different podcast episode altogether.
1: Uh, yeah. I, I, there's a lot of listeners right now. They're like, well, I have a mother-in-law like that, or I have a father like that. Or they're like, Cry. yeah. <laughs> like, that <laughs> sounds um, be that
0: familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: okay let's linger on judgment for a second because i think that um you know obviously most people are very hard on themselves we're hard on other people we're hard on our kids there's just there's this part it seems like that we're just wired and 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 i'm assuming that there's a survival mechanism in there that we're we're judging do we like this do we not would we do it this way would we not it's just part of the way that you know our software programming is as as a human but what can we do? Um, and maybe break it down. So what can we do to be less judgmental to ourselves? What can we do to be less judgmental to other people and less judgmental to our kids?
0: Yeah. I've been doing a lot of work about uh, on this because my, my son sometimes can be pretty mean to himself, you know, he could, he could be Hmm. negative to himself. And so we've been watching a lot of videos together. And in one of the videos they were talking about negativity bias and negativity bias is a hundred good things could happen. But you really remember the one negative thing that happens. And in this video, they were talking about how it actually does date back to when you were saying about it's sort of in our protoplasm, it does date back to the time when we were cavemen and we needed to protect ourselves. Against predators. And so you have to keep in mind, like, oh, there, that might be one bad, I'm just going to make this up, bad cat out there. And so we have to, you know, keep our eye on that one bad cat and you're not thinking about all of the other things behind you. Now that made sense for our ancestors, but it's challenging to do it now in the 2020s, right? So it, it's hard on us. And so we have to really go through the right steps and, and the right, give ourselves the right like tools to be able to sort of break through that
1: so unpacking that you said that your son is 10 um mm-hmm. we're now looking at it from kind of like an outside perspective or, or a different kind of lens where do you think that he developed that being hard on himself like is that is that nature is it nurture is it something that he picked up at school that like where do you think is that a natural state because like you said it's more of an evolutionary survival mechanism that we need to kind of be hard on ourselves to to evolve and grow um, and and is this kind of unique to certain children or is this kind of a, a common theme across everybody
0: Yeah. Um, so going back to that a little bit is that he's sort of always been like that. Um, and so, you know, we're seeking help for him for that. Um, but it does tend to happen more frequently with children that have ADHD. Um, Mm. and so, um, that happens to, to be wrapped in that a little bit.
1: But I mean, that being hard on yourself can also be a great gift as well. I mean, everything has two sides to it. That perfectionist, as long as he can, I guess, translate that into doing and not, and and shipping in life, then Mm -hmm. he could be excellent, great at whatever it is that he's focusing on. Um,
0: Yeah. Absolutely, that's
1: interesting. Okay, it's, so we we're talking about survival mechanisms of being judgmental. What about then being judgmental against other parents? About um, even to ourselves? I mean, I guess you touched on that a little bit with with um, your son, but where do we see that judgment kind of fitting into the greater picture?
0: Mm. that's a really good question. I need to think about that one for a second. So, because <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of like a loaded question, right? There's sort of like a couple, much so, yeah. a couple different ways I, I could go with that. I, I think that. It's important to have a little bit of it to motivate us at times, right? To be better. To be better, right? So that you're not just resting on your laurels all the time, Mm. just right across the board, right? So you need it to strive to motivate yourself, right? But at the same time, it's a double-edged sword because then sometimes if it tips too too much on the other side and the negative side, then it can be very caustic, right? Then you're just beating yourself up, like oh, I, I should be better. Why aren't I better? I need to do this, and so I think for people who have the balance, and I'm not using one extreme or the other, right? For people that have the balance, I think it can be, you know, healthy-ish at times to to be a motivator. But like I said, in certain cases, it's, it's not motivating. It's actually demotivating.
1: It's paralyzing oftentimes, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, if you just get into this kind of, um, I guess this little loop where you don't really step outside of it because you're always just kind of, I guess, I'm um, stuck in kind of like this, this negative spiral, if you will. So yes. it's, uh, yeah. absolutely. It's, and it's
0: that- no, please. Oh, can say? And then, you know, even online, you know, so many times, especially, you know, doing what I do online, I look at other creators and I'm like, oh, they're doing, you know, these numbers and this number, you know, and it's like follower count or uh, subscriber count, you know, or listens or impressions and all of those things. And those are quantitative things that you are comparing yourself to, to other people. Right. And so it's, it's both through our work, but also, you know, from a, in our personal lives from a personal perspective.
1: Well, I I feel like I'd be remiss not to touch on the fact that you've built a a very significant and profound community. So, I mean, you know something, um, you're doing something right when it comes to building community and your message is obviously resonating with people. So did you always want to be, I guess, more of a a public facing figure? Is this something that was um, just kind of like a hobby that turned into something a little bit more serious? Um, I'm kind of curious maybe of the origin of your own social media journey and your public profile.
0: Yeah, so I worked in social media at Nickelodeon before my son was born. So I was Dora the Explorer on Facebook and my mom used to run around and tell people like, oh, she's Dora the Explorer, she's Dora the Explorer. And I was like, yeah, on Facebook, mom, like not actually Dora (laughs) the Explorer. So when when my son was born 10 years ago, I was conflicted between should I stay at Nickelodeon or should I stay home with him full-time? And I wanted to go part-time and they said no. And so it was all or nothing. And I said, okay, that's fine, it's nothing. And so I stayed home with my son full-time and and i'm so glad i did so when he was three ish maybe yeah just yeah a little after 3 there was this new website called canva that had just come out and instagram was like on the on the rise and i said to my friends and family i'm going to start an instagram page about parenting and they were all like what, what are you talking about? Because at that point, Instagram was really only like pictures of lattes and sandwiches and, and like, you know, sunsets and vacation shots. And like, no one was really in that space at that point. And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, 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 no. It's going to be a thing. Trust me. It's going to be a thing. And so I started it to make friends as a creative outlet to sort of like give me something to do as a hobby to um, to like reach out to people. And then I made really great friends through Instagram. And then the account just sort of went from, from there. And I'm so glad I did. My friends were from all over the country and all over the world too. We had a friend in the Netherlands and Canada, all over the place.
1: That's incredible. So what would you say is some of the secrets then um, to building a successful social media platform for yourself?
0: Uh, Community. At the heart of everything I do is community. I've always said this about about my account is that two things. One, it's not the Tara Clerk show. I want it to be about community because motherhood is not just my account of motherhood, right? It's so many other people's accounts of motherhood and just the topic of modern motherhood in general. So it was never intended to be the Tara Clark show. Two, uh, I also believe that the tide rises all ships, right? So if mm. I share other content creators and tell other people's stories, then at least we're in it together and there's solidarity and that we could all succeed together. So community has always been at the heart of what I do.
1: And do you see um, almost like a revitalization of community coming back to where it's more in-person? To like, Where do you see... We've touched upon the need of community for all of us, um, but we have also touched on the kind of the struggles and challenges of building a community and, and feeling a little bit disconnected and and a lot of these aspects. So so, what would you what do you see happening when it comes to community in the future? And, and how would you um, suggest somebody to kind of build that community around themselves to to create something that's kind of special, not just in a social media setting, but even in just like a, like a mom pack or, or, or somebody, you know, a group of people that you can lean on almost like a mastermind or, or however Mm -hmm. you interpret that.
0: Yeah. I think that at the heart of that is to have like minded people who have the same sensibilities, right? Like if I put out a piece of content that I think is funny and it's intended to, um, entertain people, make them smile, make them laugh. And obviously there are some people who won't think that's funny. And then there's other people that will think that's funny. And then those tend to be the people that you would hang out with in real life too, right? And so that you know that it resonates, that your content resonates with them. And so I think that's at the heart of it is like find people who resonate with you and who you feel that you connect with on a personal level, um, whether that's digitally or in person um, for your mom group.
1: That yeah, lovely. Um, I, I, didn't realize that you had worked for Nickelodeon. So this opens up a whole new, um, kind of a pathway of, of curiosity in myself where yeah, it's, where do you see then content for, for children kind of fitting in? Um, it's one of those ones where I know for a fact that like I grew up absorbing content, like, you know, cartoons and video games. And I just like, you know, I was, you know, I grew up basically in the eighties and nineties, right. When everything was kind of, you know, coming uh, to the forefront. And I know there's a lot of studies now that are you know they're conflicting, but you know a lot of screen time early on for kids can't be good. And then it's also the type of content that they're watching. So I'm just curious because it seems like now you've had about ten years outside. I'm assuming that you're you're no longer involved um, in children's mm-hmm. content. So how do you see then the right mix of content for your kids? What is the right no judgment here. There's no right or wrong, but just what what are you seeing um, when it comes to just content for kids?
0: Yeah. In one word, I would say YouTube. Whereas when I was working at Nickelodeon, Disney Channel and Nickelodeon were king, right? All the kids Mm. had appointment viewing that they wanted to watch these shows at this time. Streaming was just starting. Um, And so now, you know, in 10 years, it's like such a different world to know. Everything is, you know, streaming on demand. Kids don't even know what commercials are necessarily nowadays. But going back to YouTube, that's YouTube is all my son watches on television. We have like a Roku stick and we have like the YouTube app and that's it. So he has his favorite YouTubers um, and all of these individuals are like super talented and they have like their own production companies, you know, out of their garage or their mom's basement or, or whatever, and they're just absolutely crushing it. So YouTube is a big part of that nowadays.
1: And would you see for your own son, seeing that he's attracted to the production and watching these YouTubers, would you start steering him towards potentially doing that himself? Um, Are you – as opposed to being an active consumer or a passive consumer, like, like how, how how do we figure out (laughs) what to push our children into what they're naturally interested in? What we know is probably better for them to get involved in as opposed to what not to get involved in. Uh, How do we navigate that uh, landmine?
0: Yeah. It's funny because if you ask him what he wants to be, when he grows up, he would say YouTuber. That's what Mm. his. It's like YouTuber or doctor are really like his two uh, big things. Um, it's probably easier to become a YouTuber than to get into medical school, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, but that's what the kids want to do now. Even in his yearbook, um, every year, the fourth they ask the fourth graders, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there were probably a solid 30% of those kids said YouTuber. Um, last year in the previous year. And I'm sure it's only going to continue to grow because the barrier to entry is very low to start a YouTube channel, right? Get the equipment, the laptop and all of that kind of stuff, and then just run with it. So he knows that I'm a content creator. He sees what I do. Um, he knows that I work from home. And so I would, you know, love to help him in doing that. He hasn't like officially started making steps towards becoming a YouTuber, but he likes to talk about it. And, and he likes to think that he could just Game professionally and make money. That's all. That's really the best of of both worlds for him. And you know you what's funny me? too?
1: I was going to say that would be my dream as a as an adolescent boy. Are you like playing video games, getting paid for it. Like yeah, sign yeah. Me up.
0: It's the best. That's exactly that. So that's like absolutely his dream job. And it's funny to think of how things have changed in the last several years. I'll give you an example. I wrote a meme. I don't know. It was five or six years ago, where I was joking about it was something along the lines of like YouTubing not being a viable career option. And in the last five years, it really has <laughs> become one. A- like... Egg on your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I can't even ever like repost that meme because like it was maybe true, like I said, you know, several years ago. Um, but now like it's not, you know, there's people like Mr. Beast who is like crushing. It makes like $50 million a year. Um, and just, all so many people right across the board. So it, it's really funny that now it is a viable career option, and and that's how quickly things change, right? Like I could make a joke, a parenting joke about that five or six years ago, and now it's totally obsolete.
1: It puts so, it's such a different uh, pressure on parents because like, you know, like you said, only five, 10 years ago, you could be like, you know, get out of the basement, go get some fresh air, go do something. You're like, no dad, I'm working on my career. And, yes. and you know, you, you would shrug it off as being like, there's no way, but you know, five years yeah. later, no, you, you really are working on your, you're getting that 10,000 hours towards being an expert and working on your career. So, uh, exactly.
0: Uh, we have friends who have a nephew who is a professional YouTuber and he, he didn't go to college, or he dropped out of college to pursue this first full time, and now he is, you know, the sole breadwinner in the family. Which is wow, good for incredible. him, incredible, yeah.
1: Well, when your son does, if he does decide that that's his his career path, I think he's got the right mom to kind of like show him, like, pave the way a little bit, and show him what he needs to do to build community and and to put himself out there. So, um I'm going to just leave on this. So. <sighs> Tara, what what do you think it it takes to raise a great kid? Like, what does that mean?
0: I think it takes kindness and respect Mm -hmm. for them as individuals. To keep in mind, like, they are their own person. They are not you. They are not a reflection of you. They are their own independent person who it's your responsibility to take care of them and show kindness, to build the scaffolding so that they have the confidence to go and be great. And all you have to do is going, that goes back to regulating yourself, right? Regulate your own emotions when they are not regulated and keep in mind that your relationship together does have so much to do with both you and them, but but it goes back to building the scaffolding together.
1: So well said. Um, Beautiful. Uh, if people wanted to, to to get to know you a little bit more, to find you online, to kind of see some of those beams and, and join your, your mom community, uh, what's the best way for people to find you?
0: Yeah. So I'm online on Instagram at Modern Mom Probs. I have a website, modernmomprobs.com. I have a book by the same name, podcast by the same name. I'm big into branding. Everything is Modern Mom Probs. You'll find me there.
1: Wonderful. Um, Tara, thank you so very much for your time. It was a true pleasure.
0: Thanks, Ryan.